Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 357 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining me this week, we'll get to him in just one moment, is our friend Mo Egger. Mo, of course, uh, you hear him often on ESPN 1530, uh, 700 WLW. You uh, read his writings uh, in the, at The Athletic, where he uh, c- kind of takes the tack of being the voice of the Cincinnati fan uh, a lot. And that's the mantle that I've tried to claim here on the podcast a few times. You know, we've had that discussion. Uh, and he does a really good job of articulating what it means to be a Cincinnati fan. So I urge you to go read everything he's writing at The Athletic. I did want to mention before we get into uh, my discussion with Mo that we did have a few hiccups uh, audio-wise. I've tried to clean that up as much as I can, but um, uh, it was good stuff and too good to just uh, discard. So I wanted to give you a, uh, a heads up on that, power through it, because uh, I think it's a really fun conversation with Mo. And so without further ado, let's get to it. Here's uh, here's me talking with Mo Egger. Joining me today, my guy Mo Egger, ESPN 1530, The Athletic, and everywhere else. He's all over the place. How are you today, Mo? I'm good. I'm good. What's going on? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the Reds today. Are you okay with uh, talking about the Cincinnati Reds? What is there to say? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a good question. It's kind uh, yeah, of the question. I, I, yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, not a lot of news this week. I guess uh, the the shortstop that I was hoping the Reds would sign, he signed up with the Padres. They're they're scooping up as many people as they can. Sure. And so, uh, you know, not a whole lot of actual news. So I thought what we would talk about was uh, you had a piece at the Athletic uh, today, and I'd encourage everybody to go go read that. And what you tried to do, I think, was um, <laughs> recount some of the better moments. In 2020, and I read the whole thing, and, and you came up with a lot of actual moments that, you know, I don't mind remembering. It's hard to believe. Yeah, you know, first of all, I love, I, I like year in review pieces, but normally, but, but this year they're awful, because who wants to remember this year for like a thousand different reasons? But I, I like those things, and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's corny, but I, I, I like those things, and so... um. I wanted to do something on 2020, but we didn't need another number one. We didn't need another recap of like how brutal it is at times to be a Cincinnati sports fan. And we certainly didn't need one about God, 2020 is miserable. And so that's kind of what I, I had in mind. And then I opened the piece by writing about 500 words about why 2020 was so bad. (laughs) And the, the piece was supposed to, I, I wanted to come up with 20, I had a list of 20. The editor and I banged one of them at the end, so we had a list of, of 19. But the fun thing was it really wasn't that hard. I struggled to come up with one for FC Cincinnati, and then I remembered watching them play their last game at Nippert Stadium and, and the nostalgia that sort of dominated that night. And so I, I, I had that one. But, yeah, it was it was fun to do largely because I just – I um, I'm tired of hearing about how – I understand why everybody's talking about how Miss this year was, but I'm, I'm tired of reading and hearing about how miserable 2020 has been. Yeah, you know, I uh, I, I went off on a little bit of a rant uh, last week here on, on the show, and um, and in, in the wake of that, I did uh, I do an extra podcast for our Patreon supporters uh, every month, and, and this month it was, I wanted to go back and, and remember the things that brought me joy about the Reds in my mm-hmm. lifetime. And I basically started from the first season when I really became a, you know, a, a big fan you know, when I was seven or eight years old and, and went through every season, talk about the things that why, why I still care about this team. And and so I like you did have to acknowledge that 2020 was uh, pretty much trash. But uh, I like that you did at least try to find some moments, uh, not just with the Reds, but uh, all over Cincinnati sports. And uh, so let's let's talk about the Reds related ones, though. Uh, yeah, sure. And the first one was July 24th, Reds opening day. And, you know. It's hard to remember, but we were also happy to have baseball back, and that was a fun game. So that's a good one to remember, right? Yeah. And and look, you know, we went through this whole thing where people would say, don't call it opening day. And it's like, buddy, find another (laughs) hill. You know, I like, I I really, and and I've I've kind of done this in my life, I I really have um, sort of adopted the, the mentality of, you know, be happy with what we have. And 
I can't tell you how much in April, May, June, and early July I missed the daily cadence of the baseball season. And I'm not even talking about what I do for a living. I just how much I missed the daily routine, the daily cadence of a baseball season. I know how it sounds stupid and hokey, but it it really does sort of mark the time and, and it provides the, the the soundtrack to your summer. I mean, just it just does for for those of us who love the Reds and and, and who love the sport. And I I missed it so much and. It just it its absence was felt for me as bad as they've been in recent years every single day, especially once the weather got warm. And so, you know, that night, um, do I wish we would have had a parade and you know the normal pomp and circumstance and a full house of GAB people? Absolutely, and I can't wait for us to have those things. But to be able to at the end of the day just watch a Reds game and that night, socially distanced and safe, enjoy something collectively was cathartic and fun and it certainly helped that they won the game and you know our we had such optimism before the season began which which helped but that was fun and it it, again if you chose to dwell on what it wasn't that's a you problem at the end of or in the middle of a year where a lot of stuff was taken away i was really happy to have something something to watch something to get excited about something to talk about something to celebrate and we had it we had it that night. And, and by the way, 60 games at that point kind of felt like, oh, you know what? This this could be a long season. And and then about three games into it, it's like, man, it's getting late. So it was weird. But that night was fun. Yeah. And, you know, I had this sort of same feeling there. It was a, it was a great game, too. You know, the Sunny Gray yeah. pitched six innings. And I think all the new acquisitions, Moustakas, Castellanos, I think Akiyama, they all had RBIs. And. You know that was probably the, the the first moment in 2020. I was like, okay, you know, something to be happy about. We can smile a little bit and, and enjoy something. So, yeah, that was a, was a great moment. And would I, I'm the same as you. I would have preferred it to be a regular opening day, but okay, whatever. I'll take what we can get, basically. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it carried until about the seventh inning the following day. Robert <laughs> <laughs> Stevenson blew that three-one lead of the Tigers. Oh, that was a <laughs> glorious. That's such a glorious time. We were all much more naive back then. Uh, let me let me ask you a question though to play off something you just mentioned because it's a question I wanted to uh, ask you. I struggle to do a podcast every week. How did you do sports talk radio up until baseball finally came back? Um, you know, I, I remember that uh, that first weekend when it you know we didn't have conference tournaments in college basketball and it, we weren't going to have the NCAA tournament and they punted opening day a couple of weeks and I remember like just kind of sitting down going, okay, this is, this is going to be a challenge. Um, and you know, a couple of things, N- number one, early, we had a lot to talk about, not just sports shutting down and how everybody felt about that, but the Bengals signed some guys in free agency. We had all the pre-draft stuff. So for us, you know, obviously not having the reds and opening day in the NCAA tournament, that, that the absences of those things, um, you know, th- that was felt, but we did have news happening every day for like the first four or five weeks. Once we got past the draft and once we got to the middle of May, it, it was a little more challenging. And I, I just, I simply took it from, um, I think a little bit more day to day. We we actually do try to plan things out kind of in advance and it's like, all right, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to, um, we're just sort of going to plan today's show today and then we'll worry about tomorrow's show tomorrow because we can't, you know, I mean, we, we just can't. So for me, it was from the standpoint of we are absolutely going to stick to sports on this show uh, because I think that's what people want. Uh, You know, whether it's folks who are still going to the office or just want some dash of normalcy or just a break from COVID talk and everything else that was going on, we wanted to give them that we wanted it to be light we wanted and and look th- th- there were there were obviously a handful of moments that you couldn't ignore what was happening you know certainly uh, there was uh, an intersection between sports and and some of the racial conversations we're having in this country um you couldn't ignore that uh you certainly couldn't ignore the 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 havoc that COVID 19 was wreaking with sports but mainly we tried to keep it light and fun and um i i think to a degree as well we kind of understood, I think, I think I could read the audience. Like the, the audience was giving us a break, right? The audience understood. All right. You don't have a Reds game to talk about. You have no idea when we're going to have games again. So you're going to do some things that you ordinarily might not do. We, we, um, 
we broke out a uh, a big lottery drum and I filled it with ping pong balls and we would do, you know, topics like who has the most punchable face in sports, uh, like you know, childhood crush stuff like that. That honestly we typically wouldn't do, but I don't want to say we were just trying to fill the three hours because I, I just that's not the job. But we were we had to, wanted to come up with something and we didn't want it to be. Um, we, we didn't want it to be dwelling on all the negative stuff. And, and so like my show, we, we don't do a lot of remember when, Hey, remember that game 10 years ago? We don't, but we did some of that and the audience reacted well to it. It, it wasn't easy, but, um, you, you know, it, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun creative challenge because, you know, it, it, and it kind of taught me the lesson. Like you, you don't always, I sometimes run, run into this, especially during baseball season where you almost feel obligated to talk about last night's game. And sometimes last night's game really was boring and there was nothing there. And, and so I hope moving forward, maybe there's some lessons we can learn from having to just expand what we were doing creatively. And I, I don't know if we did a good job, but, uh, I, we, you know, we're still on so. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we got through. Yeah, we, we got through it, and um, but it, it was it was a huge relief to be able to kick in. T- it was fun. You, I, you know, I remember that first Monday after the Reds played a three-game series, they blew those games on Saturday and Sunday, and it was fun to hear from pissed-off fans on Monday. <laughs> you know, it was fun to hear people complaining about David Bell and Joey Votto. I think on Sunday he, he grounded into a double play to end the game. It was it was fun to hear people air those grievances again. Um but yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. But again, we we got through. It. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's more of a, a normal situation now. I hope uh, with people whining and complaining all the time. And, and how dare Joey Votto <laughs> ground into a double play? First of all, yeah. what a bum! Let's <laughs> no. uh, let's go back to your uh, list. We go up to August twenty first, and this is a classic. Uh, <laughs> Matt Davidson had to be part of a, a Reds highlight in this crazy of year. Opening day starter Matt Davidson, but that uh, grand slam uh, <laughs> that he hit to beat the Cardinals—that's always good, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about the season, it, it felt like every time they did win, it was monumental because it just the whole year from the get-go. What they started—correct me if I'm wrong—five and eight. I think so. Something yes. like that. Yeah, and because of just the nature of the shortened season, the fact they didn't get off to a fast start, it, it just felt like they were swimming upstream the entire year. And it felt like, you know what, if they don't win tonight, this is going to slip away. And and I, you know, I I mainly remember the Davidson thing because the night before, you know, Rysel Iglesias, who was otherwise excellent, blows a game. They get walked off, and and I mean, it was it was in the middle of August. They had just had. You know, a, a couple of ugly losses preceding that. The Tom Brenneman thing had just happened. The season wasn't much fun to that point. They blow this game on a Thursday night, and it, it just it felt like they were a game or two away from us writing them off. And in the middle innings, they're losing 2-0. Uh, I think they had one hit to that point. Matt Davidson comes up, hits a grand slam. They win the game. Uh, Iglesias came in and was lights out in the ninth inning. And it certainly didn't propel them into anything special. They actually lost the next four. But <laughs> in the moment, it felt huge. And it was one of those things that all year long we were grasping onto these moments going on. You know, that, that's going to be the jumping off point. That's going to be that's going to be the, the moment we look back on and go, that's where things changed. And and that night, in the moment at least, I held on. At a con- it didn't happen. You know, that was the same road trip where Joey Votto got benched and they got, you know, crushed in Milwaukee. But that night it felt like if, if they don't win this game, uh, they're not going to recover. And Matt Davidson pulled him off. Of all people, Matt Davidson pulled him off the mat. And that's the, it kind of goes back to the point that I uh, made in my, my other podcast, which was that, you know, it was really not fun watching the Reds day to day at that time. No, but there, but there are always these moments that, you know, bring a little bit of joy into your life. And that, that was one of them. Yeah, it was, and you know, you, you you cut this. I'm sure we'll talk about some of the stuff that happened over the last two weeks of the year. But you kind of separate the first seven weeks from the last two. The last two were a blast. Those last seven were tough, and it was everything. It was just COVID, um, the team not hitting, the angst over the team not hitting, the fact that the ballpark was empty, um, the Tom Brenneman thing. I, I mean, just it, it, it for the first seven weeks, it just was really not enjoyable to follow the Reds. I still love watching and listening. That was still a part of my, you know, daily life. 
And but it it just is a dark and gloomy season for most of it until you know right around September thirteenth or fourteenth. Yeah, and that, that's where we'll, we'll, we'll go next. But first, I said the other day, and I think that you of uh, of all the people that I know will agree with this one that you know whatever I think of the direction that the Reds are heading right now, I I could not wish more to be sitting at Great American Ballpark watching the oh. game. You know, I mean, I, oh. I miss that so much. I am sitting at my desk in my basement talking to you, staring at a photo of GABP that's on my wall from the first game in 2003. And and I, I look at it every day. I, uh, I was going through my, my phone, trying to, I was trying to find a photo of a friend of mine. And I found one from uh, he and I at GABP two years ago, and it's a summer day, and it's you know, it's, it's, it's parks, not even full, but you know, it's just, it's vibrant, looks great outside. And I just, in the worst way possible, I, I just, I'll go to any ballpark <laughs> yeah. right now, but you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't even express how much I missed doing that and how much I long to, to do it again. And that's independent of, of what the Reds do with their roster, what the on-field results are. That, that is my favorite thing to do in life is to go to a major league baseball game and to not be able to do that uh, now for over a year has been tough. Yeah. You know, the Reds have been uh, frankly bad for most of my lifetime, uh, but I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that I've ever had a bad time at the ballpark. Never, you know, it's and impossible. So, yeah. So uh, let's go to that last two weeks. Cause that was actually uh, game five against the giants might've been kind of miserable, but other than that, well, I was at game four of that series. I fortunately <laughs> okay. I didn't, didn't make it to game five. Uh, and I have that picture. Oh, go ahead. I have a, a big picture on my office wall of the first pitch at Great American Ballpark as well, panoramic picture. So every day I get, yeah. to, look, I get to look at Jimmy Haynes every day. It's fantastic. Oh, I would Photoshop him out. But. <laughs> I know, right? Quato in there or something. All right. So September 14th, you, you talked about the last two weeks. Reds won 10 out of 12. And uh, the game that you picked, though, to, uh, to highlight is not actually the first game of that run because you were watching something else. Some Reds fan you are. So, you know, it was interesting. Um, the previous Sunday, if you recall, they're in St. Louis. You know, they never win series at Bush Stadium. They had gotten uh, smacked the night before. And so, you know, it's uh, – I just looked all this up to write the piece. So I think they're 20 and 26. It's a Sunday. And they're – I remember um, watching the Bengals game. And it was Joe Burrow's debut. And I, I glanced at my phone. The Reds were losing – I think five to three, fourth, fifth inning. And there was just, okay, they lose this one. They're seven under. I'm doing the math because we, we were all like, you know what? They've got to finish 500, right? Bare minimum. They've got to get to 30 wins. And I'm doing the math and I'm like, there's no way. Uh, they, and, and you know, look, how many times do they win games in St. Louis where they're trailing in the middle innings? They already did on the Matt Davidson home run. There's no way they do it again. And then at some point during the Bengals game, I look at my phone, they won. They won 10 to five. And I, I really don't remember making a big deal about it, but the next day they played a doubleheader against the Pirates, uh, and they were awesome in those seven-inning games this year. Bauer gets the ball the first game. It's at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you don't get the sense that that many people are really paying attention. They don't score any runs. They give up a, uh, Bauer gives up a home run to Colin Moran to start the seventh, and it just it just it, it takes on the feel of, you know what, bullpen's going to blow this game. They're not going to score. And who cares what happens in the nightcap? And then uh, with two outs, Jose Garcia got a hit, which you certainly don't expect. And then Tyler Stevenson hit a walk-off home run. And it, to me, it was it was really sort of the, the, the real the, – the first time that I thought, all right, wait a minute, okay, they get game two, two more with the Pirates. God, you know what, if they can win three out of four, like instantly I started to do the math in a different way, right? Like, and and that was to me, I know they had won the day before, that was the moment that triggered that run. And and again, it came from, and I think we were all really excited about what Tyler Stevenson's going to be able to do. He certainly looks like a guy who's got some pop in his bat. But if I would have said to you before the season started that one of the pivotal uh, hits of the season is going to come off the bat of Tyler Stevenson, Tyler Stevenson, you either would have said no way or who the hell is Tyler Stevenson? And and then they made it hold up. I remember uh, the second game thinking like they can't, it would be like the most Reds thing ever. They get this emotional win and and watch them just, you know, just just crap the bed the second game and they, they won that one. 
eight five or nine four or something like that, and and swept the Pirates and and went from there. But that to me, when I think of that run, those last two weeks, the moment that I started to change how I was just looking at the last two weeks was when Stevenson hit that home run. Yeah, you know that was my probably my favorite uh, moment of the season. Anyway, I was just a big Tyler Stevenson fan, excited to see what he can do for the Reds, and I guess we're going to see a lot more of it next year. But when he, <laughs> when he hit that home run, uh, it just in retrospect, it kind of was the inflection point. Things just kind of changed right there. And and you're right, the Reds yeah. actually, you know, whereas I was, I'm irrationally hopeful all the time anyway. I kept doing that that same math here, doing, oh, we can get there. We can still get there if they do this. And kept pushing it down another week, uh, you know. Well, okay, but this week, though, if they just do this, they'll be fine. And, and at that point, though, they finally they, they made that, that turn and then actually delivered after that. And so it was uh, as miserable as the season was in a lot of ways before that. Those last two weeks were uh, as much fun uh, as I've had being a Reds fan in the, certainly in the last five years. It was a blast. I mean, it, it, it was, and, and again, because every, even, you know, the handful of games they would lose, if you remember, uh, they lost a game, the second to last home game to Milwaukee. And it felt like, Oh, you know, like, and that, that could be it. Every game carried with it the weight of, of must win every single game. And it was nerve wracking, but they won the, you know, obviously overwhelming majority of them and did it. You know, we, we kept looking at the schedule going, man, they're playing the White Sox. White Sox are really good, took two out of three, even at the end of the year. Well, you know what? You're not going to want to have to go to Minnesota. And I, I know that last game of the season didn't mean anything, but you're not going to want to go to Minnesota. They're really good at home, and they, that's where they clinched. Um, but even, like, during that stretch, and I, I, I don't know if I alluded to it, but, you know, we're, we'll talk about Trevor Bauer, but they had – it was a game at Wrigley Field on a on – a, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night where they had lost the night before Bauer gets the ball felt like, man, they've got to win this one. And and he, he shows big and he delivers and it, you know, say what you want about the season as a whole, they kept staving off, not mathematical elimination, but they kept staving off, you know, that, that coffin nail that we thought was coming and kept themselves or put themselves in a position to at least make a run over those last two weeks. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about how uh, we want the Reds ownership to, really commit to putting a championship team on the field and that they haven't really done that mostly. Uh, the bare minimum, though, that I, I that I want really, that I really would like to have from the Reds is just the bare minimum is let's have some games that mean something in September. And we got that this year, and it didn't end well for us. We didn't win a championship. But, you know, just having games that actually mean something, something on the line uh, down, down the stretch, something that's been all too rare over the last uh, 25 years in Cincinnati. And so I don't want to discount how much fun that is, or, or uh, I don't want to give uh, you know ownership too much credit for, for for giving us that little little tiny sliver of, of happiness. But it was fun. It was good. It was uh, it's what what we're here for largely. Why we follow this team during the the bad days, and so uh, yeah, it's just two weeks, I guess. This is <laughs> oh, gosh, it's no look. Sports are about emotion, right? I mean, we, you know, we always talk about a season ticket holder. To me, the most important emotion, the, the most important investment in sports is uh, your emotional investment, and the last. From 14 through uh, 19, there, you know, come the middle of the summer, and oftentimes even well before then, there was no reason to emotionally invest. You know, they 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 would lose a game in August. It didn't move me. They would win a game in August. It didn't move me. I I wanted to have a reason to hang on to every pitch. I wanted to have a reason to scoreboard watch. I mean, that, that's that's the fun part. And 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 what those last two weeks did for me, yes, it was it was a lot of fun to do those things. It also made me mad that it took so long for us to get those things. And I think I'm sure we'll talk about what's what's ahead for this franchise. But I remember talking about this before before the season, before the pandemic, going look. It's great that they've put together a team that looks like it has a chance to be competitive, and hopefully they're in the playoffs, and maybe they can win the World Series. But the the overarching goal has to be you, you can't go five years of winning of, of losing ninety plus games. You you can't go a half decade without giving your fans a reason to pay attention late in the season. You cannot. And people get mad, you know, when you talk about the Cardinals. The Cardinals have not lost ninety games in thirty years. Uh, you get pissed off at that, but it's true. Their their fans every single season, every single season, they go into it going, okay, well, at the very least, we have uh, 162 games to pay attention to. We've got a shot. Uh, the 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 fact that it took that long to get two weeks of meaningful baseball, and now we're wondering when we're going to get it again. That can't be. You you can't do that. 
And I, I think that's got to be the objective for these folks moving forward, right? Like, there's going to be rebuilds. There's going to be dips. There's going to be seasons where you know we don't have it this year. You, you can't do that for four or five years at a time. The, the number of people you alienate, especially in this day and age, you, you got are not going to get back. And so I thought about that. As much as I enjoyed those last two weeks, I thought about that often as they were making that push to the to the postseason. Yes, yeah, it's, it's something I talk about a lot. There's, I, I worry about a lost generation or two of uh, potential Reds fans that are have, have had a team here in town that's oh. been pretty much bad for uh, their entire lives, other than you know, a little short period, 2010 to 2013. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to put it in terms of what they need going forward. Let's finish up your list here real quick, and then we'll get into a little bit about what we expect of the Reds. You mentioned Trevor Bauer's uh, start. That was your, your next one on September 23rd. And the, the last one that was Reds-related was um, the wait comes to an end in Minneapolis, September 25th. And, and that's when the Reds clinched a, a spot in the playoffs. And, you know, midway through that game, I kind of made a joke that I hope the, after the game's over, the Reds pile on each other after the mound celebrating eighth place in the National League, you know. <laughs> and, and then I immediately, as, as the game ended, I thought, you know what, that, that was a little bit uh, – yeah, I was trying to be sarcastic, I guess, but you know, Reds fans should celebrate that. They had they they were in the tournament with a chance to win the championship at that point. We didn't know what was to come, but uh, so I wrote a piece that just making the article that uh, making the point that Reds fans should be excited about this. We don't get it very often. Just enjoy it. Enjoy. I don't care if they're the seventh seed or whatever. I don't care if you know it's an expanded playoffs. I don't care if they barely got to five hundred. Just enjoy the fact that they're in the tournament with a chance to to win the whole thing, and we don't get that very often. When your team wins, if you can't enjoy it, why care? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, if 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 you're, and I mean, honestly, we always say we want like athletes to show they they care as much as we do, right? We want them to show emotion. So why would you criticize them when they go overboard and showing emotion when they did accomplish something? We 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 can we could talk about well how significant was the accomplishment really and expand the playoffs and all that, but. You can't have it both ways. You, you can't complain when they look like they don't care, and then when they're joyful and relieved and they express as much, um, when they do do something, you, you can't then get upset about that. And, and yeah, I, I'm i kind of the same way, man. I, I, I just I enjoy the wins, especially when they're significant, and that was a significant victory. It was. I mean, it, what was it? Was it winning the National League Central in 2010? No, nobody would equate it to that. But but did they achieve something that night? Yes. If you couldn't get at least a little caught up in that, why bother to care? Why bother to pay attention? Right? Yeah, exactly. Why, why follow so, the team if you can't enjoy that? Why follow the team, right? So that, that night to me was – that was a lot of fun. Um, the, 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 the game – I wrote about this in the list too. The, the game two nights before, though, was my favorite of the year because of – it just that night against the Brewers, the last home game, it really felt like must win. Um and Bauer pitches on three days rest, and they scored some runs for him that night. He just that night looked like a dude. It didn't matter what the bats did. It didn't matter how many runs they scored. It didn't matter. He was going to put the team on his back. And, you know, um, when he's pitching somewhere else next year, when his time in Cincinnati comes up, that's the night that I'm going to remember was the, the night that, A, I walked away from it going, he just clinched the Cy Young Award, and, B, uh he was not going to be denied. He was not going to lose. He was not going to let his team lose. That is a staff ace, and it pushed his team to the brink of the playoffs. And then, you know, again, that, that Friday night, when Moustakis hit the home run in the ninth inning, which put him up three, there was just this, at least in my house, this just burst of excitement This and this just huge sigh of relief. They were going to do it. They were going to play in the playoffs. And again, it had been forever. And so... um I enjoyed both of those moments immensely. By the way, I was gonna I was gonna include on the list now because I mentioned um, th- there's I, I took I took a golf moment out. I had it at twenty. I took a golf moment out because of a small technicality. But I, I was I was trying to trying to figure out okay I want to make this an even twenty. And I was gonna have the first inning of game one when they put first and third nobody out. And I'm like, dude, they're gonna score four here. They're gonna cruise to a win. They'll win tomorrow. And then it all, you know, went to hell from there. But that was that was a fun five seconds. <laughs> very brief. <laughs> very brief. Nobody <laughs> I did. I did enjoy it. No question. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, a good piece, and 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 you bring us right to the point that uh, the next topic that I wanted to discuss because I've kind of referenced this piece you wrote back in September for the Athletic, 
uh, about Trevor Bauer and, uh, and and the headline. It won't be easy, but the Reds must prioritize keeping Trevor Bauer uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, and I read it at the time. I thought it's exactly right. And, and I'll let you talk about what your your kind of thesis was there. But essentially, uh, the way I would sum it up is just if if Reds uh, ownership management wants to prove that they're serious about winning. They got to go hard at keeping Trevor Bauer, and I thought you made a really good case. Um, and, and so now, with a, with a, a two, three months, I guess, um, in hindsight, now, uh, how has your what are your, how have your thoughts developed on the Trevor Bauer question? Well, I, I think uh, I, I appreciate what you said about the piece, and I still stick to it. I don't think, in hindsight, that I really dove into the exclusive to 2020, 2021 economic complexities that every team is dealing with and and that's not to give them a bailout for crying poor which every team but the padres is doing right now and i hate but yeah it's it's got to be on some level hard to say hey we're going to give this guy x when we don't know if we're going to make y I, I really do understand that and i don't think i did a good enough job of, of conveying look i get it i get this is going to be a different climate i really really do especially for a you know a team where the reds are but to me, it was simple. You had the best pitcher in the National League, probably the best pitcher in baseball last year. And and that, that for me at least, that was the pivot point. That's where I thought when they acquired him, he wasn't very good those two months they had him in 2019. But when they acquired him, that was a signal. This is the direction we're going in. We are going to build around these three starters. We are going forward in 2020. It was a clear sign that they were going to spend the offseason acquiring players with the idea of getting to the postseason. That was the first time in years that they made an acquisition that was clearly aimed in a specific direction. And and then he lived up to the hype this year. So to take him away, the guy that signaled the direction you're going in, if he leaves, the signal is we're going in another direction. And look, I, I, I really do get it. If, if Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo are still here, that's a pretty good one-two to start with. And you, know, you can put Tyler Malley in the mix. And, you know, he was certainly deserving of uh, credit for, for his role with the team last year. Maybe Hunter Green pitches, and, and, and maybe they can get some guys because there's going to be a slew of dudes available that don't cost all that much that collectively can give you what Trevor Bauer gives you. I, I, all those things could happen. And, and, and maybe their, their heavy investment in advanced uh, pitching strategies um, yields a, a huge return in 2020 from guys that we're not even talking about, or 2021, for guys that we're not even talking about. Maybe that does happen. But again, you, the, the best pitcher in baseball is likely to lead. And that, I guess, for, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, was when they acquired him, it was a clear signal. We're going for it. When he leaves – that sends a signal that, well, we're going for it, but maybe not as much. And and again, <laughs> when the Reds have been good in my life, they've had really, really, really good starting pitching. Really, really good starting pitching. You can say whatever you want about the Nasty Boys. Jose Rio was among the best in the sport. Had a good starting staff. 2012, you talk about Joey Votto and Jay Bruce and Scott Rowland and Todd Frazier. Ed, five guys that gave you a chance to win every single night and never got hurt, man. Uh, the team this year, Gray, Bauer, and uh, Castillo, not necessarily in that order. That's why they got to the postseason. Did other guys have a hand in it? Sure. Uh, we're taking away the best uh, guy, the, the first Cy Young Award winner in the in the history of the franchise. How are how are how are fans supposed to digest that in any other way besides they're not as all in as they were last year? Right, and and that's the point that I've tried to make is that I guess I can understand their you know the financial implications. Uh, I, I don't like spending other people's money necessarily, but uh, but as a fan, I don't think there's any other way that that you can that you can take that is that they're not as in, all in. I don't know if they were ever all in, but they were in. Yeah, and yes. uh, you know, but I made the point you kind of uh, touched on a moment ago, but I wrote something just a season into that. Listen, some team is going to zig while everyone else is zagging. Some team is going to spend money out there and that team is going to have a huge opportunity to get better in this crazy off season. Turns out it looks like it's going to be the Padres that do that. And I tried to make the case for the Reds doing that because if they can do that and really send a message to the fans uh, that they are trying and using the, uh, this particular off season that's so weird anyway, uh, 
as an opportunity to make the team significantly better, well, when fans do get to come back, there's going to be such an excitement around this team that you're going to make that money back, and uh, you know you can put yourself in a really good position going forward. I think the Padres understand that. Uh, the Reds, for whatever reason, don't appear to be going that way. And, and, and I go back to something you wrote in, in that piece. It would be incredibly sobering if the Reds instead tried to plug the hole left by a Bauer departure with cheaper, not-as-good alternatives, especially after you're watching years of cast-offs and low-end prospects try to fill the mid-decade void left by the likes of Johnny Cueto and others. Now, just think back to the, you know, from 2000 to 2010, essentially, they were just trying to cobble together a pitching staff, and, and then I see, oh, well, this guy might be in the mix for a number five starter this, this coming year, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, it's the same old conversations we used to have. We're gonna, we're hoping for Scott Feldman to be good, you know. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, I don't yeah, know. When I, when I think of post-2015, there was this revolving door of Jason Marquis and Scott Feldman's and Asher Wojciechowski's and dudes that you knew were not going to be here whenever the worm turned, right? Who was going to be here? High-end, elite-level starting pitching. So, um, yeah, look, the reality is two years ago they had their worst attendance in three and a half decades. In 2018, I, 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 that's, that's why they decided, all right, screw it. we got to go get some names that excite people. Got to go get Yasiel Puig. We, we got to get some some starting pitchers that that have had some degree of success. And you know the, the majority of those moves, uh, they acquired Sonny Gray and you know Tanner Roark was serviceable for half year. And you know we could debate for a while, I guess, the the, the real impact of Yasiel Puig. But but it excited people, and there was an uptick in attendance. And there certainly would have been, I think, early in 2020 had had fans been allowed to go to games. But just two years ago, a whole lot of Reds fans basically said to this team, I'm done. F off. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm done. Now, were they still watching and, and listening to games and engaging? Yeah, but again, this this franchise wants to sell tickets. And two years ago, they stopped selling tickets because people stopped going. So now you have a pandemic. You have a season this year that went awry early and ended in very disappointing fashion. You're going to let Trevor Bauer walk. You've, you, your team, as you and I talked today, is not as good as the one that walked off the field in Atlanta because of the players they've let get away and the fact that they haven't acquired anybody since. Um, folks are dealing with uh, larger economic problems um, collectively than they were two years ago or three years ago. Heck, you have companies that I'm sure were buying luxury suites uh, two, three years ago that now maybe can't do that. Uh, and, and so, you know, th- th- this idea – that, well, you know, fans are just going to want to come back to the ballpark. Yes, you and I will. But the, the fan who wasn't going two years ago when you were rolling out there your fourth consecutive 90-loss team, that fan ain't coming back. That fan's not – and maybe can't come back. But even if they can, they want a reason to come back. And maybe one of the reasons was Trevor Bauer. And and maybe on top of that, these players like Rysel Iglesias and Archie Bradley and Kirk Caselli. Again, I ain't saying any of those guys are – you know, franchise changers. I'm not saying, well, you let Kirk Casale go, you can't recover from that. But still, it's, you know, you have a fan who watched that team last year. It's like, all right, well, they made the postseason. I like these guys. I want to go watch them. And since that season ended, all we've seen are departures. And then you read, well, they could trade Sonny Gray and they could trade Luis Castillo. And, and I, like, I get all that. I, 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 you and I understand why they would do it. I think neither of us agree. I think both of us think it's, it's absurd to, to, to move on from those guys. But your, your average Reds fan who two years ago is like, look, I'm done with rebuild. I'm finished. Call me when you have players who are good. Call me when you have players that are going to stick. Call me when you have players that I've heard of. Well, they had them last year. And now with that fan maybe having a chance to go back, some of those guys are going to go away. Guess what that fan's going to do? He's going to do what he did in 2018 and not go to the ballpark. Yeah, it's a real uh... – <sighs> I mean, the pandemic couldn't have come at a worse time, I guess, for the Reds. But uh, I don't know. I just I don't see them doing the things that uh, they need to do to get those fans back. But uh, who knows? Still early in the in the uh, off season. Maybe they're going to go out and uh, get all the get all the players, get all the good free agents. Right? We we believe <laughs> I mean, that, right? You know, no, <laughs> no. But, I mean, so there's there, there's a couple of different types of teams in baseball right now, right? Like if you're a Cubs fan, you're angry at the Ricketts. You're angry at hearing about how another operate like a small market club. Um, and understandably so. But at the very least, that franchise could say, hey, remember 2016? Uh, you know, hey, for the last half of this decade, we were there every single year. The Cardinals aren't doing anything. The Cardinals ownership could say, well, this century's been kind of cool, right? We went to four World Series, and we're always in the postseason. What does Reds ownership say to fans, right? 
Yeah. Or you have a team like the Pirates who before the pandemic say, okay, look, we're going to rebuild and we understand fans aren't going to come, but that's it. And then, well, if fans aren't going to come anyway, then who cares? So you're launching into a rebuild. Or you have teams that just inherently have a financial advantage. So, you know, for instance, like the Red Sox could say, all right, we're going to sit out for now, but when things are back to being, you know, uh, we have a better idea of where the game is financially, we're still going to have more money than everybody else. And so we're, you know, we're going to be able to spend it. Or you have organizations that have a track record of being well run. The Tampa Bay Rays, deservedly so, are being raked through the coals for trading away Blake Snell. But at the very least, you can go, you know what? They're always competitive. They're always pretty good. And that same front office that built that team in that monstrous division that got to the World Series, all right, we, we kind of – we don't like that they traded away Blake Snell, but they they at least seem to know what they're doing. Can Reds fans say we're we're sort of right there in the middle, and you can't launch into a full scale rebuild because you're still going to be stuck with some guys who have contracts that you can't move. So I, I just and then you you go we we've spent a lot of time talking about well you Trevor Bauer, I mean from the get go, and I think you've addressed this from the get go when Dick Williams stepped away, did the Reds go into a a search where they said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to go get somebody who's the best in the world at what they do at building baseball teams. No, they elevated Nick crawl. Now, Nick has been with this franchise for a long time. His fingerprints are all over whatever successes they've had. He's a smart guy. It's nothing against him, but all right, here's a chance. Let's, it, to me, it was like the most Cincinnati thing ever, right? Exactly. Like whatever a Cincinnati sports team, there's a Cincinnati sports team with an opening. We just we stay close to home. David Bell may or may not be a good manager. Do we think he would be the manager of the Reds if he wasn't from here? I'm gonna guess no, right? Like there's there's we can never leave the 275 loop. And so here you have the guy running your baseball ops department. He leaves. You have dozens of qualified people looking for work. And instead of going on an expansive search, especially in a year where you know the offseason is effectively going to start late, instead of launching into a search six days later, you go, yeah, you know what we're going to do? Nick Carl is just going to do both jobs and probably get paid for one. That sent a signal that, frankly, there's been nothing to counter that. Three months later, here we are. The calendar is about to flip to 2021. And again, you're you're reading about players they're going to say goodbye to. You've already seen the players they've said goodbye to. And there's nothing concretely to indicate what they're doing to actually try to win in 2021. That's not gonna. That's not gonna sit well with people. It doesn't sit well with me, and I don't think it sits well with you. Well, no, it, it doesn't. But I do. I think you're being a little bit unfair. Castellini uh, and company did give us two division series wins eight years ago. <laughs> what are you? What are you whining about? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's 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 remarkable the the amount of equity that they've been able to cash in with a segment of the population, a segment of the city, and and I, I think that segment's dwindling, quite frankly. But I mean, can, can you just imagine if if the team down the street said, "All right, we had a good year last year. What we're going to do is we're just going to get rid of our best players." Huh. I think right. the, I think the most remarkable thing that I've seen in the last ten years of being a baseball fan, are, and this is around the country, are how many baseball fans seem to be really invested in their team's owner's bottom line, right? Oh yeah. Also, hey, the Ricketts got to save money. Oh boy, Bob Castellini's got a spreadsheet. We don't, we don't, and you know the NFL's a salary cap league, and there's an aggregate floor and all that stuff. We don't let the the NFL owner in town get away with that, and we shouldn't. But we let the baseball owner get away with it, and that is remarkable to me. Well, you got a, a generation or two now of fans going back to the late 90s and the, the Carl Lindner and John Allen years where it was preached at us every day. This team can't compete. You know, we may have to get contracted uh, because we just, we're never going to be able to compete in this market. And, and I, I think yeah. a lot of people have kind of taken that to heart and have internalized that uh, we, it's unfair. We, just, we, can't, we can't win. And they give, they give the ownership a pass. And I don't, I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. No. And you know, I, I, I hold people accountable to what they say. Bob Castellini 15 years ago bought the team and said, I'll bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. He didn't say I'll bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. If we get a salary cap in this league, he didn't say I'll bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. If uh, the economic conditions change, he didn't say I'll bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. If I can find a big money investor to buy half of this team, he said, I'll bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. And he hasn't come close, quite frankly. I, I get it. They're really good in 12. They're pretty good in 10 in 2013. That was great. Um, but, but the idea was championship baseball in Cincinnati. And it's been 15 years. 
it's it's been 15 years and and i i certainly am sensitive to what everybody's dealing with 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 the pandemic but uh, you know again i I come back to what i I said before there there are clubs that can at least say to their fans hey pre-pandemic to see what we did we can do it again give us some time i'm not sure that's really what some of these teams are going to do because you know we've we've seen well before we heard of COVID 19 we've seen a lot of baseball franchises basically say yeah we're not going to try and, and that is awful for the sport. It's something the sport that is an institution has to wrestle with and has to figure out. But but if, if you're the people running the Reds and you, you want folks to, hey, look, um, it's, it's kind of tough financially. We're going to have to restructure some things. You're going to have to wait. People are really impatient right now. And what do you point to to say, hey, look, if you wait, we can deliver a payoff. And here's proof. There is none. Again, when an eternity being terrible. From 15 to 18, they were one of the worst teams in baseball every single year. That wasn't that long ago, but it was a long time. I, 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 I think the, the reaction they're going to get from folks if, if over the next couple of months they don't decide to go and, and get somebody or a handful of players from a large pool of guys who are going to be available and be available relatively cheap, I think they're going to get a big old middle finger from a lot of people, and they're going to deserve it. Well, you're preaching to the choir, and uh, I guess fingers crossed that they uh, that that they do attempt to improve the team. Let's answer a few questions here, and then uh, and then we'll get out. Oh no! Oh, no. Uh, you're going to love this part. Some viewer mail questions. Before we do that, these questions come from our my friends at uh, at Patreon.com/slash/RedLegRadio. And uh, first, I want to give a big thank you to our newest uh, patron, J.R. Davis. J.R. Davis, thank you so much for joining the uh, the family at Patreon. Now, now, Mo, we have this uh, kind of tradition here that when someone uh, joins the the Patreon. Uh, we assign them a position on our beer league softball team. And, oh wow! Okay. And that that, that name J.R. Davis just screams uh, left-handed hitting catcher to me. That's that's what I'm. <laughs> you know, what do you think? Am, am I wrong? You got something else? J.R. Davis to me screams like like out like left fielder who you got to take out after seven innings because his glove is made of iron. Like he's the guy that's hoping the National League adopts the DH criminal. So a lot of pop, yeah. But, def- but his glove, maybe not, not quite. All right, that's exactly. What, yeah. That's that's where we're gonna go. Uh, Jr., thank you for thank you for joining us. First question, first viewer mail question comes from our friend Joe Farsing. Joe's question is this, and you need to understand these are not all uh, Reds related. In fact, I encourage them not to ask always Reds related questions. First one is, what was the best Christmas present you've ever received? I can tell you what mine uh, was. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, mine was, uh, I don't remember what age I was, but I remember uh, as a kid, I got an Atari 2600. And oh, yeah. Forever yeah. and always, that will be the greatest Christmas present I ever received. Just uh, All right, back, back-to-back years, the original Nintendo 1988 um, was because my buddy Josh Lofton, who lived downstairs from us, had one, and I wanted one so bad. I think the happiest person in our neighborhood was Josh because it meant I, I didn't have to come over and bother him anymore. So, And then the, the following year, we moved into a house. I was 11 years old, 12 years old. And all, all I wanted was a, a basketball hoop for my driveway. And uh, so we wrap, we unwrap all the gifts. And I, my mom says, hey, go out and get the newspaper. And I go out and get the newspaper. And the hoop was in. Like the, 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 the basket, the, the, the hoop was in the driveway. Nice. Uh, my parents didn't live together. My mom had like her friend's husband came over and put the thing in Christmas Eve night, which is remarkable. So, and I shot on that thing until I was uh, uh, until I wrapped up my very bad high school basketball career. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's that's uh, more difficult than all the uh, Lego sets I, I used to have to <laughs> have to build for these kids. So you'll have that coming uh, sometime soon. Yes. Uh, th- speaking of gaming systems, this this Christmas, my son says classic twenty twenty. Uh, he got a picture of a PlayStation Five wrapped in a box. <laughs> it's not been delivered yet, so you know. So my my I wanted uh, there's a an establishment that I frequent that has a uh, a Budweiser. It's it congratulations. It's it congratulates the nineteen ninety National League West champion Reds. <sighs> nice and. I found it on eBay and I just sent it to my wife and for like $11. And I just sent it to my wife and I'm like, look, if you're trying to come up with something, here's something it's cheap. It's and if you don't get it, I'll get it. So she got it. 
and she ordered it in like late November, still not here. So she had to do the same thing. She showed it to me on her phone. She's like, hey, I got this for you. I don't know if it's ever going to get here. She can't get a hold of the guy who sold it. She's complained to eBay. It's still not here. But when it gets here, I will have it in my basement. <laughs> Be sure to post a picture of that because I can't wait to see it. I will. Exciting <laughs> times. Next question comes from Joey Gaditza. Joey says, hey, guys, how are you? Curious if either of you have any New Year's to-dos or don'ts. To-dos or don'ts. I'm not really uh, quite sure what that means. Like a, like a resolution? Well, we do have another question here. Let me go ahead and read from Charles Zoller's uh, one about New Year's resolutions. I think that's where we're going to read that. So we'll read these together. While my community college lost, that's in reference to me making a joke about his his, uh, UCF basketball team. (laughs) He comes back at me about my alma mater. He says, I'm glad we didn't get blown out on national TV like Virginia. (laughs) That's what I deserve it. They're Um, still the reigning national champs. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I've got that going for me, which is nice. Anyways, what are your New Year's resolutions, he asks. So uh, let's take those questions. Uh, do, do you have any? Do you generally make resolutions? Uh, I do. I do, and they're usually pretty benign. This year, I've already started this, um, and, and this is probably more information than, than a lot of people want, but we, we've all done this where uh, you'll sit down and you'll just, all right, I'm going to check Twitter or what's happening, and like three and a half hours later, the whole night's gotten away from you or the whole day's gotten away from you. And the things you were going to do that day or that night, like I had to do, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, and I've told people, like I've told my friends and family, like in 2021, I, I'm just, I'm going to spend not less time on social media. It's part of my job, but like just staring at it and letting it affect my mood and getting to a point where at the end of the night, like, man, I was going to do like three things and I didn't do them. Cause I'm looking at Twitter uh, or, you know, hey, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, maybe just watch a game and just watch it to watch it and, and not, uh, watch it with the Twitter companionship, which sometimes can affect how I'm, I'm going to spend less time doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have kind of a somewhat similar, uh, you know, I really love Twitter when we're talking about the Reds, almost everything else on there. I despise <laughs> it's, it's garbage. You know, it's not good for our mental health. My, my resolution is once a week. At least once a week is my goal anyway. I'm going to leave the house and go somewhere, and I'm going to leave my phone at home. Just, wow, yeah. Just, just not have it with me. Not have it tethered to me all the time. I'm trying to get away from having that phone tethered to me all the time because it's just it's not good. I mean, I like having it, and I, I do the same as you. You find yourself scrolling, and all of a sudden, you've lost three hours. So. Yeah. So I try to, when I, when I do stuff with my daughter, um, I try to keep it as far away from me as possible. I like I because I just don't you know I I don't want her to feel like she's competing for attention with a inanimate object. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great and it's awful all at the same time. Mm-hmm. All at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Next uh, next viewer mail question comes from our friend Hooper Powell from Columbus. Question is this: Would you rather have an IPA with Mo or spend an evening drinking tequila with Tony Larusa? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Uh, I'm probably more fun than Tony Larusa. Yeah, I would hope so, but still, I think I'm going to choose Tony. Sorry, Mo. Oh, no, right. no is way. Is it because of the tequila? <laughs> no way. No, uh, no, it's not because of the tequila. I'd rather much rather have an IPA than, than tequila, but I don't yeah. have any interest in being in the same room as, as Tony Larusa. What a disaster that guy is. I mean, well, so what are the topics we get to like? Can I talk about the '90 World Series with him? I mean, that, I think legitimately that'd be kind of cool. Well, actually, like, that would I be. Yeah, that? that'd be kind of fun. Can I ask him? I mean, could could I could I really get his thoughts on all the the PED users that he has managed and get his unfiltered thoughts on on that? And you know, I think would be he. I mean, I, I think Tony Larusa is a clown, but I mean, he is an important figure in the last forty years of Major League Baseball. How about this? Before we open the tequila, we take his keys. <laughs> and then, yeah, let's talk about the nineteen ninety World Series. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. Yeah. Next question comes from our friend Dennis Papasan. Dennis asks, if you could secure, and, and he, he has some, listen to this closely because he has some caveats. If you could secure any red that's currently under contract, excluding Luis Castillo, if you could secure any red currently under contract for the next five years, who would it be? And I don't know why you'd exclude Castillo because he's, that's my answer. But is there that's anyone, my answer. Is there anyone else on this current roster that you would, that you're desperate to sign for the next five years right now? Five years is forever. No, 
I don't think I can't think. Of, I don't think there's a single player. Castillo, I would do. I'd sign that tomorrow. Yes, I mean that's the answer. Uh, there, there literally is nobody. Yeah, that's kind of. I don't know if that's sad or. Uh, I think it's sad. But, but even if even if their roster right now was really really good, five years. This is a long time. Is I mean no, there's nobody. No, I. I, I sorry. Do we think Tyler Stevenson is going to be as good as advertised? He's under team control for five years, so I don't need to. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll, it's Luis Castillo. Yeah, the reason you're looking to sign somebody for five years is if you're uh, on the free agent market and you're trying to entice right. somebody to come, or if you've got some young guy that's getting ready to, you can buy out a couple of his arbitration years and then uh, and then buy out his right. some free agent years, and that's that guy that you would, you know, I was I was hopeful that Nick Senzel would be that guy right now that you might want to try to buy out a few years, but I'm still kind of wait and see on him. So I, I don't yeah, think so. You talk about like all the things that didn't go right in 2020. The hey, this year we're gonna know about Nick Senzel is on the list of still went wrong in 2020 because we're still wondering the same thing. Yeah, I know a guy who uh, wrote a big uh, feature, his first feature uh, piece for Cincinnati Magazine. It was gonna be the cover story, <laughs> the opening day cover story on Nick Senzel, the next next big red star, and then opening day doesn't happen, so they move it off the cover. And so yeah, the uh, the pandemic. Uh, yeah, it's the first world problem. Hit me home. All you have there. to do is just swap out a couple of words, and boom, you're good to go. That's you don't have to rewrite it. We'll publish that one again this year. Yeah. Oh, Dennis's uh, next question was: If you could acquire any MLB player for the next five years, who would it be? But he has another caveat, excluding Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. If you could acquire any MLB player for the next five years, who would it be? Uh, am I allowed to say Cody Bellinger? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, right? I, I think I, I think I lean towards what Fernando Tatis Jr. Maybe. Yeah. Ronald, yeah. In fact, that's that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Ronald Acuna. I might uh, might choose him. You know, uh, once, yeah, Cody once, Bellinger is 24. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of guys I'd like to have for the next five years. Now, didn't have a fantastic 2020. In the regular season, and frankly, I don't think his World Series numbers were that good either. But yeah, I don't know I how mean, much to make of. Yeah, I mean, like if you go back to his 2019, it was monsters. Yeah, yeah. So he's not, not that far removed from that. Yeah, um, but I, I'll go Fernando Tatis because he's more fun. He is definitely fun, and I like fun when it comes to baseball. He's good. All right, Kyle Kapler says hi, fellas. Couple quick hitting questions. Thoughts on. Uh, uh, Aristides Aquino going forward, and is he on his way out, or is he a wait and see type of roster spot? Uh, let's answer that one first. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know where he fits in. I don't, he, he's not a starter, right? Uh, I like they, 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 they told you how they felt about him last season, didn't they? I mean, he stayed out there at the uh, Prasco Park, the ketchup factory out there. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, but 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 even before then, they. You know, he has this monstrous August, greatest thing ever, and they were so impressed by it that they acquired two guys who got to play right field. <laughs> and then uh, the season begins. You know, he did not have a good spring training. Uh, they banished him to Prasco Park. And when he got here, he was mostly a non-factor. He didn't hit at all. So I just – the month of August was great, but – you you've got to see more more than that to to make somebody a part of a big part of your plans. Now, is there a place in the big leagues form? Is there a place on this roster form? Sure, uh, but I don't think there's a good team in baseball that would say, you know what, that's our starting right field. No, I mean he's a fifth outfielder, fourth or fifth outfielder yeah. at best, and yeah. you know a power bat off the bench, and there's some value in that. But he is what he is. You know, he's not going to be the superstar that some were hoping after uh, a, a admittedly great month. Kyle's next question is this, and uh, I'm eager to hear your answer to this because you are um, a dad of more recent vintage than me. Uh, have you heard any good dad jokes lately? Uh, they give me a hard... <laughs> I tend to use a dad joke or two here, and my kids roll their eyes at me. Uh, have you have you learned have you learned the uh, the uh, uh, the skill of a well crafted dad joke yet? My my, my wife say that that every joke um, that I tell is a uh... A dad joke. So last night, my daughter's three and a half. So she doesn't mean 
you know, she's not doing like, you know, knock, knock jokes or stuff like that. So, but last night, my, um, my wife has a, a friend who does hair and she's coming over our house. She's going to, she's going to do my wife's hair. She's going to cut my wife's hair. My daughter has only had one haircut in her life and it was, uh, her grandmother gave it to her and just trimmed it up. She badly needs someone to just trim it just a little bit. So, um, so we're talking about my wife's friend coming over and my, we're explaining to my daughter, like, Oh, she'll, she'll cut, she'll cut your hair too. And I have very little hair. I buzz it every week. And if I didn't, it would, I mean, I would look like Hulk Hogan. So no, nobody wants that. So, uh, I said to her jokingly, I'm like, Hey, I, I can, I, you, we can cut your hair like mine. And I took my hat off and I had just shaved my head yesterday. And she said, this is my favorite dad joke. She said, you got a haircut. And I said, no, I cut all my hair. And everybody in the room just looked at me like. Classic. Classic dad joke. Absolutely. All right, I've got two or three more here, and then we'll, uh, we'll get out. First comes from Andrew Scott Wills. If being a Reds fan was a medical condition, what would it be called? Oh, man. You know, I, I want to say erectile dysfunction <laughs> for some reason. There is just a, uh, I mean, de- depression <laughs> is a medical condition. That's true. That's true. Right? And Not all... a good one. But depression is a a medical medical condition. Yeah, and if you if you take this team too seriously, uh, that's that's where you're headed. The side effects are, are pretty rough. Yeah, Rich Thompson, gentlemen, with the Padres apparently going all in for 2021 with their recent acquisitions and uh, rating the Cubs in particular, the National League Central looks more than. Uh, even for the taking with that said, which of the following scenarios do you see the Reds management taking? He's got three scenarios. So number one, holding on to their MLB assets and trying to add a shortstop via free agency. Number two, be bold and go for it by obtaining an upper tier shortstop or middle to upper tier starting pitcher, which would probably mean adding to the payroll via free agency or by trade or three panic and have a fire sale to dump as much payroll as possible for management for management does not want to miss out being a top seller. I mean, I think, Holding on to their MLB assets and trying to add a shortstop is probably the most likely there. I don't see them yeah. having an actual fire sale because I don't think Big Bob will allow that. And I don't see any way they're going to be bold, as he says. You disagree? Yeah, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly. The Reds are not a team that operates on the fringes where they're all the way in or they're just – I mean, even when they went through the rebuild, it was a very slow, reluctant rollout, right? They didn't do it when they should have. So they're typically a team that sort of operates in the middle, and I'm – I'm going to guess that the majority of the guys that we've talked about um, possibly moving on roster right now are still here whenever season begins and they'll go get a shortstop and plug him in and then, you know, try to get some relief pitchers that they feel like are, are, you know, bargain acquisitions that can fill the spots of the guys that that they left and acquire a pitcher to who fits the profile of some of the guys we talked about before and, and sort of hope, uh, and this is not a, a strategy, but but sort of just, just hope that oh, somebody's going to win the division. Why not us? And let's be honest. Last year's optimism was kind of based on that, right? Yeah. I, I think we looked at the, the Reds and said, well, they're going to be better. But you know what? They're the only, the only team in the division to do anything. They're going to be better, but oh, yeah, the, the, the Cubs aren't really trying, and the Cardinals aren't really trying, and the Brewers have lost some guys, and the Pirates just going to start from, from scratch. So uh, maybe there's going to be better position because of that. That's that's what a lot of the optimism was based on. On That's fine, but your hope can't be. Your strategy can't be. You know what? Everybody else is going to suck, and somebody's going to win the division. Not, why not us? And it kind of feels like that's going to be the strategy, and that has a lot of holes in it. Yeah, I, I fear the day when they decide to permanently expand the playoffs and the Reds are going to decide that being 500 is the goal now. Let's just get in the... Let's just get in the playoffs, uh, and uh, rather than really chasing a championship. But we'll see. Maybe I'm just uh, worrying about something that's never going to happen. I tend to do that. Yeah. No. No. That's. That's. For, there's a lot of reasons why I hate expanded playoffs. A lot of reasons. But at, at the very top of the list is it lowers the bar that teams are going to try clear. Uh, and in terms of, of you know building their roster, things like that, that spending in free agency. You know, we, we don't have to go for it. We don't have to try to build a 100-win team when all we got to do is build an 82-win team. And if we just get in, well, then we've got a shot. I think that's terrible for the sport. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Last question comes from uh, Risto Neely. Risto says, hey there, fellas. Earlier in the month, David Bell mentioned that he was happy with his core players. Uh, he mentioned this several times, but he never identified which players he meant. Who do you think they are? 
Under the current state of the Reds front office action and comments, my list would include the following. Joey Votto. So, uh, you know, David Bell has talked about his core players. I think he means, you know, uh, Moustakas and Castellanos and Suarez and Castillo and Gray. I mean, this team does have some good players still. Yeah, I think there's a difference between David Bell's core players and maybe the front office's core players because David Bell's trying to win baseball games uh, in the last year of his current contract. You know, a manager is always thinking a little bit more shorter term, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, his his Joey Votto is going to play close to every single day, right? I mean, what do you want to do or not? Uh, Nick Castellanos is going to be in the. I mean, to me, the, for a manager, those are core guys. Now, for a front office, the guys we're going to build around, the guys that are going to be here in three, four years, the guys who are less uh, touchable than others. But for a manager, sure. I mean, I mean, where things stand right right now, the everyday eight has has gone largely untouched. I would, I would imagine, you know, we're going to see a lot more Tyler Stevenson. And your guess is as good as mine in terms of who plays shortstop. And obviously there's a DH that changes these things a little bit. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's it's that hard to identify where things stand right now. Uh, Castellanos, um, I think it's interesting to, to really see where Jesse Winker is going to fit in, uh, especially if there is no, no DH because he was unbelievable for about four weeks and then – you know, not so much. Suarez needs to have a better season for a lot of different reasons, but I mean, he's going to play, play third base every single day. You're going to see Shogo a, a lot. Um, you know, who knows what the split will be between the field and the center. Senzel. I, I mean, it's I, I, the, the manager has core guys. I think the question is how many of those core guys perform better than they did in 2001? Well, fingers crossed. I'm going to hope. <laughs> See that, that's that's fine if it's you and me exactly, it's, but it's, it's not fine if you're running the club and you're like, well, we're gonna cross our finger and just, just hope hope we're luckier and better. And, and again, that just that feels like the strategy right now. Yeah, and and the listeners here have uh, heard me uh, say that a million times. It's okay for us to do that, but that's not a strategy for the front office. Mo, I appreciate you taking some time to join us here today. Um, hopefully, you know, get closer to opening day. Maybe we can uh, hook up again and and have more information about what the Reds have done. Uh, since uh, this offseason began. So I hope so. That, this was fun. I'll, uh, anytime, you, you know how to get a hold of me. Absolutely. Uh, so listen to Mo, uh, ESPN 1530. Let's, uh, go read his stuff at The Athletic all the time. And again, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week.